Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit fan project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you'd like to know more, please check out the podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main show. A link to the main show will be provided in the episode description down below. Thank you for your time, and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. My name is DJ, and I will be your host for tonight. On the cast list for our journey into the unknown, Paxton as Elias Manusos, Jens as Leighton Oswald. Tonight's episode... Hunter and the Hunted, Part 3. Hunter and the Hunted contains violence, cold winter nights, and the crossing of paths. Consider this your warning. Previously on Applied Materials, the beast known as Elias murders and consumes Eric Johnston, a war veteran whom Leighton was taking care of. Given a reason to act, Leighton takes it upon themselves to dole out justice on Browning's new predator. We return to the quiet town of Browning, Montana. It has been... It has been a few days since the death of Eric Johnston. The local police are on edge, as is the rest of the town. The mayor has issued a curfew for all residents until the current situation has been proven safe. And Leighton, you've been cooped up at home. No longer are you able to make your night visits to your other patients because of the curfew. So you've had to make do with just visiting. So you've had to make do with just visiting them in the day and being on call on your phone at night. The police have not given you any special exception to roam around town at night, and the number of cars patrolling the street have increased. Overall, this town feels like it's teetering on the edge of a blade, just waiting for the balance to shift one way or another. And what has Leighton been doing these last few days? Um, Leighton has tried to come to terms with what they saw when they possessed Eric. They've also asked James for their books on um, Blackfoot tribe myths to see if that ties in with what they saw, if the creature can be explained. But so far, they've found nothing. So it's basically just, you just see Leighton sitting on the floor with a bunch of books around them, just taking notes, uh, thinking maybe it's a Wendigo, Maybe it's uh, some kind of animal spirit gone wrong, an evil spirit, but it's just not working out. You remember what you saw when you possessed Eric, the images that have been seared into your mind, that strange, twisted, fleshy monster that turned your friend, your patient, into Swiss cheese and then sucked him dry like a juice box. The screams still echo through your mind at night, and sometimes you find yourself bolting awake in a cold sweat, wondering about his last moments on this earth, and what sort of 
monster could have done this? And so you've been researching. You've been trying to find any mention of local monsters or myths, legends, anything of the sort that might shed some light on this situation. And so I would like you to make me an investigation check with your cognition. This is to see how much information you have gleaned over the last couple of days, just to see if any of them hit particularly good marks. Oh, that's a minus one. And I only have investigation at D, so I'm not going to do anything about it. Uh, Cognition, that's my focus, isn't it? And that's a three, so that's going to be a two. I'm not going to boost it because Nathan doesn't really know much about or cult or any of those uh, creatures. You've trolled the local library for books on the subject, but you're not too familiar on what you're reading. A lot of the big words and some of the philosophies and other kinds of mythological monsters and jargon, it's all gobbledygook to you. You don't quite understand it. So... A lot of the information on these pages doesn't really mean much to you. You're not quite sure what monster it was that attacked Eric, but you know that it is a monster. It is not something of this earth, and that fact is, well, an unchangeable, immutable fact of this world. That something unnatural killed your friend. And so it is on one of these sleepless nights that James wanders into the living room, sees you surrounded by a pile of books like a cocoon. He yawns, he's sleepy, and his time at the park ranger station has not been the best, especially since they've had to put out a wild animal warning for the surrounding area. And he says, Oh, Leighton, not going to bed yet? It's pretty late. Leighton doesn't even look up from the books. No, James, I I have to figure this out. It's not a fucking animal. They rubbed their forehead. I'm I'm sorry, James. It's just I've been looking at this for uh, a couple of days. I don't even know anymore. Look, you need sleep, Layton. Whatever this is, I'm not saying it's an animal, but it's got you on edge. It's driving you up the wall. I mean, Nora and I can see this clear as day. You need sleep, or at least something to drink and a place to close your eyes just for a little bit. You know, wake up bright and early tomorrow, get a better start to your day, and who knows, maybe all this will blow over. I'm a nurse, James. I can do without sleep. Do you really think this is just going to blow over? Did you see what was left of Eric? No, I didn't. But I heard the news, and honestly, I get why you're so upset, but but it's also not worth your sleep and your sanity, you know? Mayton gets up from the floor, takes him a while, and they walk over to James. So tell me, and I, I swear, after that I will get some sleep, I will eat a meal, but tell me, do you honestly believe that this is just going to end? Honestly, Leighton, I don't know. Leighton will eye the floor, and they're f- really thinking... What's going to happen next? Who is going to die next? Will be another one of their patients. How long will they be able to cope with this? Will they have to look into one of their spirits' minds again? See what they saw before? They're not sure they can take that. James, 
I just need to do something. I'm, I'm sure you understand. We have to do something. Yeah, I know. I guess we, we have to do something. But what is the issue? We've never had anything like this happen in Browning before. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to guard against something we've never seen before? How did your ancestors do it? James, he kind of sighs and runs a hand through his hair as he sits down next to you, kind of clears a space out of all of the books that you've, out of all of the books that you've accumulated in the last couple of days. And he places a mug of water on the floor next to him and he says, Well, I don't know how much use it would be now, but our ancestors, before the white men came to colonize these lands, they would consult with and seek guidance from the spirits of animals. My ancestors, the original Blackfoot Indians, they were hunters. And sometimes they would wear the skins of animals to help them camouflage themselves in the grass and undergrowth to keep themselves hidden from the buffalo that they would hunt on the open plains. Spirituality and these animal spirits, consulting them was a big part of their culture, and it still is today. Nathan thinks for a moment, then looks at James. Do you think those spirits would talk to me, James? I mean, they did kind of did before. What if I go into the woods and I try to contact them, ask them what we should do? Ah, <sighs> well, I don't know how easy it would be to call upon the spirits of my ancestors here, but this is our home. Our reservation is in these lands, and, well, I honestly can't think of a better place to attempt to talk to the spirits of my forefathers and all of the Blackfoot Indians that came before me. So will you help me get outside tonight? They give James a very serious look about this because they know what kind of consequences that could have for him. James winces a little bit and he thinks for a while. The moments pass by like hours until you see him make a decision in his mind and he says... Since the safety of our town is at stake, I think I can come up with a reasonable excuse for us to be outside at night past curfew. When do you want to do this? Tonight? Bernard, we need to do this as quickly as possible, James. There's no more time. Okay, well, I suppose I should go and see if my grandfather's things are still in the basement. I don't think I moved them. Tell you what, you go grab your stuff, I'll grab mine. And I'll grab mine. Meet me at the car in ten minutes. I know of a good place nearby. Should be quiet enough to not attract any attention and also to figure out if what you're going to do is really going to work. Nathan just nods, turns around and starts grabbing their things. Elias, you have been prowling around the outside of this town for a few days now, ever since you ate that guy that shot you, some of his memories have been tickling the back of your mind. But the beast has had its way with your body, and so it has begun once again stalking for more victims. And so I would like you to make me an investigation check with your perception, please. 
to find your next victim. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ooh, okay. Elias is so tired. Tired of moving. Tired of hunting. Tired of, of eating. He can't keep going like this. Uh, his, his limbs tremble as he reaches for, for more water out of uh, Willow Creek, hoping that if he fills his stomach with that, the creature that is taken him over will, will be sated. But that is, obviously, it's not enough. How, how could he be so stupid as to think that would be enough? He stands up to his full height and he scents the air. A cluster of tentile poke out from his skin and uh, wave in the breeze. Elias has to get another meal. So I roll investigation. That is plus three on the dice. Uh, Add that to my one perception is a four plus one mental strain. And that is a five. All right. With a five, you are able to smell the air. And there's something weird in the wind. It's not your typical smell of blood and bestial hunger that is attracting the primal part of your mind tonight. Instead, what you smell is something different. Something weird and strange. And a part of you that the beast thought it had suppressed all too long ago. The human side of you recognizes that scent. It smells like incense. Smells like smoke. Like a fire. But not a forest fire. It's more someone's burning something in offering. Someone's giving something to the land. And it's pretty close by. You are strangely attracted to this strange new scent. The beast inside of you is very curious, more so than it is hungry. And for once in this cursed existence that you currently inhabit, the two sides of you actually agree on something. You want to go and see what this strange thing is to sate that curiosity. And the beast concedes that maybe there just might be food there. And so you run. You lope through the forest, following that smell of smoke, of sandalwood and tobacco as it fills the air, pungent, getting stronger and stronger the closer you get to it. And eventually, you come across a rather strange sight. In a clearing in the forest, next to a small babbling brook, a couple of miles from civilization, a car sits in the field, surrounded on all sides by trees, like the one you hide behind, watching Two people enact some sort of ritual in this clearing. One of them, a bigger, more heavy-set man, appears to be wearing a feathered headdress and is shaking some sort of wooden instrument and dancing around a fire while another person sits cross-legged in front of it, their back facing you. You don't quite know what they're doing, but every so often they throw something into the fire that makes it flare up, ignite with more sparks that dance and flicker into the night sky carried by the wind. There is an energy to this place. And I would like you to roll me 
a knowledge check, either occult or eldritch, with your cognition, as the human part of your mind realizes that they're trying something otherworldly, and you are digging into your memories to figure out what. I have three focus. I've rolled a minus one on the dice. I have rank A, Knowledge Eldritch. I will... Let's try a re-roll first. There we go. That's a plus two. So that puts me at a five. I am fairly curious, and the beast is always looking not only for meals, but for threats. So I will boost that to a six using another mental strain. All right. With a six... The beast concedes control of your mind over to you. And for the first time in what feels like forever, Elias, the man, not the monster, comes to the fore. And through your knowledge of the occult, having worked with Orpheus for so long, you know that this is a ritual, a dance conducted to summon spirits of something, probably family ancestors relatives you're not quite sure but the language that they are speaking or at least the big man is speaking chanting singing into the fire is native american it's indian you're not quite sure which tribe it is but there is no mistaking the supercharged spiritual energy that seems to be collecting in this place and it seems to be focused around the person that is sitting cross-legged in front of the fire of all things. You're not quite sure why, but that person feels like some sort of conduit to you, like a battery or a converter of spiritual energy into something else. You don't know what this ritual is about fully, but this is what you understand of it. They are trying to contact someone, and they are using this ritual as the means of contacting said someone. Leighton, roll me an awareness check with your perception, please. You are knee-deep in this ritual. Your eyes have been closed for the better part of the last 10 minutes. You've been listening to James slowly dance around this fire, chanting songs in his native language, and you've memorized the cues at which you need to throw bundles of herbs into the fire and letting the spiritual energy throughout this place course through you. Well, that's flat on the dice, and my perception is two can spend up to three strain so i will throw in two strain and make that a four i don't think they're going to be too aware with what's going on so with a four you are intently focused on helping james with this ritual you've just been in the zone doing everything as he asked and you can feel it there is a palpable energy in the air like a crackling of static electricity just before a huge lightning storm is due to arrive in your area. But there comes a point in time when you hear something, something that is not supposed to be here, the cracking of twigs, shifting of dead leaves on the forest floor. You're not quite sure where the sound came from, but that sound, that unnatural little rustle, it caught your attention ever so slightly at the edge of your perception. There's something here. You're not quite sure what it is, but it's out there, watching, waiting. Um, for a moment, Nathan 
opens their eyes, momentarily blinded by the fire before them. They try to focus on the sound. Could just be an animal. They're in the middle of the woods. Of course it's an animal. It could be a deer, even a rabbit. But there's this gnawing feeling in the pit of their stomach that it's anything but an animal. Elias, the person sitting at the fire, you see something akin to their hackles raising as their head lifts up and whips around, looking for something, someone, might be you. For a moment, their eyes turn your way. They don't see you, but they're spooked. Just for a moment, what do you do? At first, Elias was, uh, he was himself again for just a moment. This particular spiritual energy, the scent, it, its, its flavor, its color, metaphorically, felt almost familiar to Elias. And uh, he wanted to, to get closer, get a closer look at it, maybe see if it would fit in the, the gap somewhere in his soul that he, he used to be able to, to feel this, not, not exactly the same. But the, the sense of, of knowledge being transmitted uh, from spirits was, was familiar to him. And so Elias almost approached and asked a question. But the moment this person startled and showed the body language of a prey animal, the beast pushed, uh, pushes Elias back into the background of his mind. And... The beast only knows two things. It knows that it is hungry and that there is a meal not far from it. So I am going to activate polymorphism rank two to shift into my uh, lupine form. Elias's body twitches and jerks unnaturally as... Uh, it is reconfigured into something shaped generally like a wolf, but uh, still upsettingly maintains a uh, human face and fingers and is completely enshrouded in questing tentile uh, that are scenting for blood. Um, I am spending the one additional humanity to change for only one initiative. And then I am going to uh, charge. We are going to enter combat in just a moment. But since Elias is charging, I would like there to be an initial clash before we head into initiative. So Elias, you are rolling your athletics with speed to determine how fast you get to Leighton. And then you are rolling a melee attack with your melee attack skill at a minus one because of charge. Leighton. You noticed something out there waiting for you. So you are not 100% surprised when a snarling, drooling, tentacle-adorned beast bursts from the tree line and just starts bounding towards you. And you take one look and you realize, that's it. This is the thing that killed Eric. This is the thing that has been terrorizing your town over the last week and a half. And you need to make it pay. So I would like you to roll me a dodge or some sort of defense at a minus 
one because while you are not 100% surprised, you are still surprised at just how fast it is moving. And then once this initial thing is done, we will roll for initiative and go into combat. I guess I should also specify I am spending two blood points to give me plus five temporary health and stress. Stress. So anyway, athletics. Ooh, <laughs> plus three on the dice. Uh, my speed is two in my wolf form. I get an additional plus three to move and charge checks. So that is an eight without spending anything. Okay. <laughs> that still knocks you down to using only one initiative. And considering we haven't been in initiative order yet, that is as fast as you can go. Uh, I am using my bite attack in wolf form. This uses knowledge eldritch skill with melee attack. Okay. Uh, that is flat on the dice. Um, I have a floating minus one from charge. I'm just going to move that there so I can remember it while I do math. I'm going to take my re-roll. That is better. That is a plus one. Oh, Elias is so low on physical strain. I'm going to do it. I'm going to spend my last physical strain. That gives me not nearly enough. Oh, this ritual reminded me. Uh, my old ability to call upon the memories of those I have eaten. And so I am going to mark that motivation that I carry the honor of those I slay. Roll a d3. That's only a 1. Oh, boy. Oh, gosh. You know what, uh, DJ? I would like to court death and replace my die roll using that uh, memento mori with a plus 2. Uh, and so that will take me to a... Uh, four, five, six, minus one is five. That is still not uh, nearly as much as I would like, but that's what I've got. Dude, please don't kill me in your first attack, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to have to use my evade, and would you like me to use my dodge on that as a combat skill or my athletics? Dodge, please. All right, so... I rolled a plus one. My evade is a three. And in dodge, I have a C rank. So I am going to use a three physical strain to get that to a six. What did you get, Elias? Um, I also got a six. Oh, boy. I, I will make this easy. I have no physical strain to spend to break the tie. So it is uh, Yen's... Uh, prerogative to do that if you want. Oh, f fuck yeah. <laughs> Not being able to break a tie with no more physical strain left? Leighton, you are able to dodge this creature. Describe to me how you do it. The moment Leighton sees the animal charging, it's like their entire body is just set on fire. They just know they have to move. They have to move now. James, you need to! And they just dodge, they just jump whatever side they can think of. They even don't even know if it's left or right. They don't know where they are. The only thing they feel is the hard impact of the ground. The first thing on their mind is James. James, is he okay? Is he okay? They try to look up. You leap out of the way, Leighton, as this monstrous behemoth of a creature lunges for you. You feel an inrush of air as you dive out of the way. 
from just how fast this thing was going. And as you tumble to the side and yell your warning out at James, he stops in his chanting, turns around and freezes upon seeing this great beast crashing through the ritual circle you had so delicately placed and drawn in the grass. And as he attempts to continue with the ritual, I would like the both of you to roll initiative. All right. Well, I rolled a plus two, and my base initiative is 11. Whoa! I got flat on the dice. Base initiative is eight. All right. Layton, you're up first. This giant creature, the hell spawn of your nightmares that killed Eric, has just landed in a very ungraceful heap in a section of your ritual circle and is struggling back to its feet. What do? If there's one thing Nathan knows, is they're only a human, and this, what they're facing, it's, it's a beast, it's a monster. There's no way they can fight it. They will need their own beast. And so we are going to use the Rising, and I have that at rank 3, uh, Mastery A and B. So, let's see, um, rank 3, so I am going to use the 2 Spiritual Strain to gain Normal or Rift uh, Initiative. I am going to use the Mastery A, so that's plus 10 to the amount of damage and plus 1 to the number of attacks required to destroy it. And, and here is hoping that we are able to raise a bison from this field, just just for theme. You had rank three, right? Yes. Jesus Christ. And I have both masteries, so mastery A and B. Jesus but I'm Christ. Not, I am not going to use the B one because I, well, I could right away to have it protect Nathan, but I want to save that one, I think. So here's what happens. Leighton, as you face down this creature, you push your hands into the dirt surrounding you. And using James's chanting as a sort of spiritual springboard, you pull from the ground, hands clasping. Oh, oh words. Your hands gripped tight around a pair of thick curved horns, the skull of a bison. And it is this bison that slowly, inexorably rises to defend you as flesh seems to gather up around its broken, buried bones, each and every piece of it rising from the ground, tearing itself through the grass, until standing before you is a full-sized bison, undead and ready to serve. So that takes you down to initiative step eight. Indeed. Yeah, I will throw in two mental strain to have the uh, bison basically attack immediately just so james can get to the car i think that makes sense that in a panic Nathan would do that all right roll me a melee attack check with the buffalo's melee attack skill at rank a okay well i've rolled a plus one and and i'm gonna say that since both of you are on the same initiative cell this can be a clash between Elias and the buffalo. Oh, it absolutely... Well, hold on. 
I mean, clashing is my only real bet at destroying it. It's the only way I can get that much damage on it. Uh, and it's also freaking dramatic. Yeah, let's do a clash. Let's do it. Elias sees this hulking Goliath of a, of a creature appear almost out of nowhere. And he knows that in order to get to his prey, he has to either go through it or around it. And he hopes that he has a chance to go through. I am activating rank two void tendrils. And that is, let me see, I have a three unnatural attack attribute. I rolled flat on the dice, spending three spiritual strain. And I am hitting my principle. As long as I survive, I can try again. Because uh, this thing looks like it can hit like a truck. And I've got to do that first uh, if I want to survive and keep trying. Um, And that was a two. So that gives me 3 plus 3 plus 2 is an 8. So we're going to assume that the bison's base stat is a 4. I rolled a plus 1 on the dice, so that takes me to a 5. I'm going to spend a free strain from the C rank, so that gets me to an 8. And I would like to invoke... Uh, latent bond to protect her patients and to uh, protect James because that's the only reason why they're raising this entity from the ground just so that he can get away and on my d3 I rolled a 2 so in total that brings our dear bison to a 10. All right your bison gets two degrees of success on Elias so Elias you have 12 damage coming at you, plus an additional 1d3, because the buffalo won the challenge, plus another 1d3, because the bison won the clash, and another 1d3, because Elias' toughness is at a 1. Alright, so that means I have to throw 3d3s now. 2d3. That's a 1 and a 2, so that's plus 3. So in total, Elias, you are taking 15 damage. Mm-hmm. Elias, he, he lashed out with the uh, tentacles uh, wreathing his body and was batted aside by this creature. Oh, goodness, that is so much damage. Yeah, it, um, it crushes his rib cage. Uh, his ribs pierce all of his internal organs. And Elias dies for a second before the, the tendrils uh, stretched across and through his anatomy immediately begin to repair him. It is the the fastest and most disgusting and unnerving surgery that Leighton has ever seen. But in what seems like no time at all, this wolf person creature thing is once again standing unharmed. As I use machinations of the timeless rank one. Uh, we now, I and everyone who can see me, uh, rolls for breakdown. That includes you, Leighton. Oh yeah, I saw that coming. And that includes James as well, so I'm going to roll for him. Well, I rolled flat on the dice. So you're fine, Leighton. I also rolled flat on the dice. Elias is also fine. James, however, is not. At this 
incredibly gruesome, incredibly troubling, frankly, extremely unnatural display. You can see James sort of pause, Leighton. And for a moment, it feels like James is processing what he's just seen. The strange sights that he has just beheld that threatened to break his mind in twain. And then you see a sort of fervor come across his, go across his face. And instead of backing down or running away, the chanting grows louder. The singing grows louder, stronger. And James steps forward, picks up a burning branch from the fire that you built, and lunges for the monster, bellowing a native Indian war cry as he charges across the ground towards the creature. Leighton, it's your turn. You are standing there, horrified, as your landlord, your friend, is embodying the spirits of his ancestors and is rising to meet this creature in single combat. What do you do? Yes, 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 yes. James, get to the car! James! He can't hear you. Nathan just knows that if James is going to clash with that beast, they're not going to survive. He's, he's going to get ripped apart. He's going to be just like Eric. So I am going to use the Mastery B of the Rising, and I am going to make the bison step in between James and the beast, but that's also going to leave Nathan open. If I'm going to use the mastery B, which means that I can that the servant is going to act with human-like intelligence once per scene, and it allows me to uh, control it rather than having the GM control it. So the bison is now under your control. And I'm going to place the bison between James and the beast, just protecting James, and hopefully he will snap out of it if uh, a really big dead animal. He's going to appear in front of him. So you spend one initiative of the bisons to essentially stick it between James and the creature. And so this just giant lumbering behemoth of an undead animal trundles into James's path. And you can see that the big man has no time to react before he sort of slams into the side of this buffalo. It's exposed ribs and malformed fleshy connective tissue webbing between them. Please roll another sanity roll. He's not having a good day, let's just say. So that is one initiative from your bison, but what about you? What are you specifically doing? I am going to use Baleful Dead. And I have that at rank 3 and mastery A. Okay, so my unnatural attack is a 3. And I'm using Baleful Dead rank 1, which brings down my initiative to a 6 from an 8. I rolled a plus 2 on the die, so that brings me to a 5. And I will use a Mental Strain to boost that to a 6. I'm going to use my Stability reroll. Okay, that puts me at flat on the dice. Fortunately, I have a 5 in Willpower. And so I will spend two strain to get a seven. What does Leighton's Baleful Dead look like? Leighton's Baleful Dead looks like that's just this flock, this flock of 
dead birds. They're made of bones, flesh hanging from them, pieces of skin, some feathers. And they rise into the air and then attempt to strike down at the beast. Elias, you see this strange, hostile array of ghosts attempt to claw at you, to tear your flesh, to rend you limb from limb. But they are, in effect, still spirits. And you know how to deal with those. Their corporeal forms turn translucent as they pass through you. Their attacks seeming not to connect to your altered form. Leighton, Elias, and James. It is all of your turns. So I would now like to know, who has the higher base initiative stat? Uh, I think that's Leighton, by a long shot. Yeah, my base is 11. Well, Leighton, it's your turn. You just watched the spirits that you called forth pass through this monster like they weren't there. Much to your chagrin. What do? Nathan's just going to continue screaming at James to get the fuck out of there. And then they're going to turn to the beast. Hey, not him. You don't want him. You know that. He's not the... Just don't. So are you trying to attract Elias' attention? Oh, yes. Seems like a great idea. Then I would like you to roll me a presence check with your charisma, please. My charisma is a one. <laughs> and I rolled flat on the die. And my presence is B. So I'll put in the tree strain and I'll get that to a four. Elias, you just got your next charge attack against the person in front of you interrupted by just this giant stinky undead bison. It's got your full attention. However, there is the matter of that one person next to the bison that you saw pulling that bison skull out of the ground, and they're now screaming at you to try and get your attention off of the bison, as it were. They're distracting, yes, but the beast? It's right in front of you, and it's huffing at you, it's, it's pawing at the ground with one of its hooves, and its presence commands your attention. You are distracted, but not fully committed to attacking Leighton instead of the bison. Well, attacking the bison was never the beast's plan. The bison has no blood inside it. So I think I'm going to commit to... Well, I don't have to commit. I have rank 3 Void Tendrils. I'm going to roll a die... That is a neutral result on my die. So I'm going to attack Leighton using rank 1 Void Tendrils without spending any initiative. Because my Tendrils have a mind of their own. I've already used my reroll. That is pretty bad. Okay. Uh, that's minus 2 on the dice. My unnatural attack is a 3, so that puts me at 1. I don't think I will commit more resources to this. So that is just a one to attack with Void Tendrils before I decide what to do with my initiative. Well, at a one, it yeah, is... Yeah, that, that is not going to... So let's see. A swing and a miss. Absolutely. But then I will just go right into my real attack, activating rank two of Void Tendrils to remember to spend my humanity 
Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> oh, that is a minus three on the dice. The dice want to tell a story, friends. Let's see. We are in combat, so I don't have any replacement or, yeah, die replacement abilities available. Like, it's not worth spending any strain on this. So Elias turns toward Leighton and menaces them with a flurry of whip-like appendages, but none of them are really all that close to hitting. James, upon slamming face first into rotting bison corpse, falls on his ass, and he kind of stumbles back to his feet, and seemingly comes to. He realizes just what he's done, and instead of returning to the offensive, like he was originally going to do, he keeps chanting instead, backing away from the fight, opening up enough distance now that to reach him would take a considerable effort, especially since Elias now has to get past a bison and also Leighton to get to James. And so he is going to continue chanting and continue powering this ritual with his voice and his body and his soul. Elias, it's your turn again. None of his attacks seem to be doing anything. Elias knows he is running out of options. And the beast is beginning to feel cornered. The hunter becoming the hunted. But there is at least one more trick up their collective sleeve. Um, I am going to activate rank 1 polymorphism and transform into bat form, spending the one additional humanity to make it only take one initiative to do so. The, the creature twists uh, impossibly in space as the tentacles start to reconfigure it again. Hundreds of pounds of mass are shunted away into some eldritch space as his body eats itself until he is only a few grams and small enough to fit in the palm of someone's hand. He stretches his, uh, his wings and prepares for his next gambit. Nathan just watches what's happening before them. This animal just churning itself inside out, turning into something else again. This is not natural. This is not an animal that belongs here. The fact is, Nathan knows that they don't belong here either. Both of them don't belong here. But neither of them is getting out. Nathan turns their eyes towards the bats, quickly glancing at James. This is not their town. This is the town of the first people, the Blackfoot tribe. And this should be their fight. Leighton closes their eyes, spread their arms, and they start invoking the spirits that belong here. The ancestors of Browning, please help me. Protect your lands. There is a hum, a vibration, felt through their body, felt through the ground beneath their feet. And a soft glow is permeating from the ground. Let the spirits rise. And with that, Nathan is going to use possession, rank two, and the overload 
they are going to pay the five humanity and I am going to spend five initiative, five spiritual strain. And we are going to invoke all the spirits of Browning to fight this beast before them. But now it is Elias's turn. At the same time as this intensely spiritual uh, process is taking place, there is an intensely biological one happening in the air above. I am using uh, Polymorphism Mastery A uh, for three initiative and splitting into a swarm of bats. And in this case, that means that the tendrils covering Elias's bat bodies are rending him into pieces and reforming new bodies identical to the first, like some deranged mitosis happening on a visible scale. Um, each of these bodies is connected by weird psychic force. It could be instinct. It could be that they actually do share the same spirit, a dark mirror of Leighton's many spirits in one body. We have many bodies serving the same spirit. This new swarm begins to flit about, covering the area with bodies, all of them uh, clicking and chirping in a bizarre chorus alongside the the dry flapping of their wings fill the air as a counterpoint to the hum of spiritual energy below. The, the bats then begin to swoop at Leighton, uh, taking tiny bites and scratches along with them. Uh, Leighton will take 1d3 damage, and if you want to use uh, physical armor, you take a minus 3 situational penalty to all actions until the start of your next turn. And then I can just try to repeat this until one of us dies. Unfortunately, it is now the bison's turn. Uh, 1d3 damage for Leighton, by the way, landed on a 1. I think the bison is just going to look up and look at Leighton and recognize something in them, something from a long time ago when it was still breathing, still galloping along these fields. And instinctively, it's going to move in front of Leighton, who's now bleeding from small cuts all over their body, and try to protect them from whatever may be coming. Okay, start of a new round. Everybody roll initiative. Again. And remember, Leighton, you're at a minus five. I know. Uh, I rolled a plus one, so I'm starting with 11 minus five is a six. Plus one brings me to a seven. So the bison's base initiative is a six, and I, unfortunately I rolled a minus two, so it's down to a four. Elias, I got a plus two on the dice, which added to my eight base initiative is a ten. Elias, it's your turn. What are you going to do? I'm going to continue my swarming attack. That will cost me three initiative, bringing me down to seven. It will also cost me one humanity and one health. Uh, but I do continue to swarm about the area and try to give Leighton a death by a thousand cuts. Here's my next D3. That landed on a three. All right. 
Elias and Leighton, both of you are going at the same time, but Leighton is the higher base initiative. So Leighton, what do you do? At this point, Leighton can hardly see anymore. There's bats just flying into their face. There's blood streaming down their forehead, into their eyes. There's no way that they can protect themselves for much longer. Or James. Within them, they can feel the spirits of Browning raging against this entity before them. The one that's endangering their home. And they are ready to fight. At this point, I'm going to use the unique mechanic of the medium, haunting. And I am going to spend the full initiative to reset my haunting from level 3 to 0. To unleash a storm of angry ghosts. In this case, the ancestors of James to protect our town. And at this point, you can see Leighton throwing their head back. There's smoke coming from their eyes, mixing with the blood from their nose, their mouth. Something is leaving their body, and it is becoming a legion. All right. So that costs you four initiative. And Elias, you need to check against daze, bleeding, and breakdown. And you have to roll once. Once for all three of them? Yes. Okay. That rocks. That is a plus two on the dice. I'm calling in your memento mori. So if I remember right, that turns it to a minus two, right? Yes, it does. Okay, excellent. In that case, well, I'll do what I can. I'm going to activate Encroaching Undeath, rank one. So you are now severely dazed, severely bleeding, and since your breakdown check is at a minus two, you can only respond with fear as this wave of Native American Indian ghosts swarm you. Some are incorporeal, some are more physical in nature, all of them bellowing and yelling native battle cries as they encircle you, attack you from all sides. You are surrounded. You are being beaten to within an inch of your life, and there is no escape. You can go up. You can go any which way. But there is one truth that you come to realize about this place. No matter... Where you go, no matter how far you run, this is their land. They were here first, and they will always be there to hound you until the end of your days. If the Blackfeet don't do it, the others will. And so, not out of fear, but of a grim sense of finality, you surrender to these spirits. You sink to your knees, and you just lay there. Submissive, you are beaten, you are spent, and there is nothing you can do to the spirits that surround you. I, just so you know, I am using Encroaching Undeath to just not bleed to death. Um, I'm going to keep the days. The, the swarm of bats coalesces once again into a man. And for the first time, you see Elias as he is when not hunting. Elias, were he not moving enough to shiver and cower, 
you would think that he was just a corpse overgrown with some fungus that happens to have about the same coloration as him. Uh, he is covered in these tendrils that and jerk and quest away from his body, searching for something. Even now, it seems as though all of the blood from his body has been drained into them because the rest of his visible skin is pale and waxy as a corpse. His eyes are glassy and unfocused, and he definitely is not breathing. Leighton catches their breath, and they look upon this man. In essence, it's still just a man that's lying there on the ground. They sigh. Fuck. Reluctantly, Leighton moves towards the man. Even though they may have been a beast, a monster, Leighton is still on loose. And they have to check, or at least ask, how ridiculous it may be if they're going to be okay. Stay, stay back. I, it's so hungry. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't make it stop. It's so hungry. Leighton pauses. It's, it's all right. Let me help. We're both not supposed to be here. And slowly, they will approach the men further and kneel down next to them. Elias breathes visibly for the first time since you saw him as a, a monster, as a beast, and begins to sob. I, I need... I, I need help. I'm so sorry. Shush, shush, shush. It, it'll be... It'll be okay. It'll be okay. This has been Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. A warm thanks to our players tonight. Paxton for playing Elias. Jens for playing Leighton. Be sure to follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter, and we will return in the next episode. Good night. As Detective Annie Sullivan investigates a case of a strangely violent and overly large bear terrorizing her home, trouble rears its ugly head. Professionals come face to face with the law, next time on Snatch and Grab Part 1.